0: This is state of demand gen. hey everyone welcome to the state of demand gen podcast where we're going to mash together all the different content types events interviews demand gen live when i'm a guest on a podcast linkedin content all here in audio format if you haven't already i would highly encourage you to sign up for the demand gen live sessions that i'm putting together with catano dinardi at 7:30 p.m 4 30 pacific on tuesday evenings tons of great content in there lots of great insights live Q&A building a little community inside there i'd highly encourage you to check it out and now to this episode
1: guys chris walker on the show today really excited to have him here i know i use the word really way too often but this is getting back to an area that i absolutely love i've got an affinity for it it is the area of marketing and there's two things that i think are coming up right now post covid-19 that people need to be aware of. Number one, we need leaders more than ever. And number two, marketing is gonna be more important today, I feel like, than it has been in the past, by far. The marketing piece of it's gonna be super important. So Chris Walker is here with us today and we're gonna dig into marketing. Chris, welcome.
0: Scott, really happy to join you, man. It's funny you brought that up because I have been saying that marketing is going to be more important in B2B companies that are typically sales led since 2015. Yeah, And I've known it and I've seen the impact of executing marketing well in a sales led company over the past five years. And all this situation has done so far is just accelerate the pace of getting to where we're going to get anyway.
1: So what was giving that away? What, what were the indicators to you back in 2015 that made you say marketing is going to be the key?
0: Low rep productivity, longer sales cycles than they need to be, lower win rates, um, less efficient, continuously seeing less and less efficiency on SDR outbound. Mm. Hot rising customer acquisition costs as you scale a sales channel. I'm like those are the things, and and that's on the business metric side. And then go and look at what customers want. And so the fact that over this period of time, like this has been happening for a long time, but definitely over the past decade, that buyers have way more control over their own buying process than ever before. They don't need you. At the beginning, and companies are, are starting to see that as buyers have more control over the process, they need to adapt how they actually go to market.
1: Well, and, and a lot of that has to do with access to the internet, access to information. And in fact, you know, I, I believe, and we'll talk about Jake a little bit here, you know, listening to Jake, he's like 85% of the people don't even want to see you until they're ready to buy. So so that in and of itself pushes everything back to marketing. How are they getting to learn about you learn about your product or how do they even know that they need your product right Mm -hmm.
0: and the key the the real key here is allowing them to learn about the product in the ways that they want. And so like there's a lot of traditional advertising that happens that is not the way that people want to learn. Um so there's that's that's one and then the second thing is like a lot of companies will stuff people into demos or give people $250 gift cards to sit on demos and they're there for the gift card. They're not there to learn about the product. They're not receptive. They don't feel the pain. And so I think you it, when people are in a sales conversation and they're not ready, they actually don't receive the information that you're trying to give them. Mm. Um, and so being able to do that in a, in a way that aligns with how they want to buy, I think is, is one just super buyer centric and two just like a smart, a smarter way to go to market.
1: Okay. So now, now we jump in, right? We're, I, I'm ready for this. I like Let's do this. it. So the, so the marketing side of this, right? They, they're looking at all of these things. They're continuing to throw out information. They're continuing to, to trying to get customers into what they're doing by throwing out gift cards or, or whatever it is. And this is probably not specific to what, what we know and love the medical mm-hmm. device and medical diagnostics business, but it's still happening. So what metric are they looking at that makes them think that this is working? I mean, is the 0.5% return that they're getting, is that, is that the metric they like to see, or is it something else?
0: I've spent a lot of time in my career in, in med tech, um, and most recently a lot uh, across a ton of different companies in B2B tech and SaaS. And so I think one of the key things that happens in that industry, and then we can get more deep into, into the medical side in that industry, that marketing and sales are, are so disconnected that marketing is optimizing for marketing metrics and not actually looking at what happens after that. And so if marketing is trying to score on MQLs or demo SAT, like there's a lot of hacks that you can do to optimize for that metric that doesn't actually get you to the result that it was designed for. Um, and so that's, those are some of the things that I see.
1: Okay. So so ultimately we've got to get to that ROI, which, you know, when I was in marketing a hundred years ago, you know, one of, the, one of the comments that I might've been guilty of saying is it's tough to really measure ROI on the marketing that you're putting out, especially in the medical industry but today we have to measure that ROI. So, so how do we start to figure that out if we're talking about selling into hospitals and, and what we're trying to push out from marketing or, or do we just blow it all up and say, our marketing is different today. This is how we measure ROI.
0: It's a really interesting question. I learned this um, this very well from 2016 to 2018. I built a demand function inside of a $30 million venture-funded med tech, fast-growing company from the ground up um, and learned a couple of key things. One is that there, there's a simple way to quantify the impact of marketing, knowing that you're going to miss some things and there's other benefits inside of it that you will never be able to capture. And so what I would do is, it was just very black and white on our website. There's a button that says, hey, get a demo with a sales rep or whatever it is. And anyone that comes through a website conversion, we count to a marketing. I actually consider it inbound, not marketing. I look at it from the buyer's perspective versus who's taking credit for it internally. Okay. So is the buyer coming to us or are we going to them? And the goal is that more people are coming to us over time more people are coming to us, they're converting to sales opportunities, they are going through the funnel. When you're a Medtronic in the world, you have a lot of that. But when you are the $25 million disruptive technology that's trying to displace a subsidiary of one of those companies, it's very hard. Um, And so being being able to continuously drive more people to you through educating and informing them about the benefits of your product, the clinical data, the case studies, the references, all those different things, allows more people to be open to learning more about what you do.
1: Yeah, which leads me, I guess, to my next question, which is, you mentioned inbound, not necessarily marketing. And I was gonna ask you, is inbound dead? You know is your is that inbound strategy the the quote-unquote hub spot going out pushing out content therefore bringing in your inbound is that still alive and does it work
0: um i think it really depends on the definition and i don't define inbound anywhere near how most people would and so like i said i frame it up in the in the buyer's perspective and so is the buyer coming to us and it doesn't matter what we're doing in order to achieve that outcome Right. And so like a lot of people will be like, yo, you're running ads. It's outbound marketing. And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't n- know. I am dr- driving buyers inbound to us and I'll take whatever means is the most effective way to do that at scale in order to do it. And so um, is the idea of writing a million blogs and gating eBooks and putting people through nurture sequences dead? I'm not going to call it dead, but I'll say it's way less effective than it was in 2009. Sure. And so like, I just, I choose to do the things that are most effective at the time and completely just throw away the things that are, have become less effective that most people still do. Right. And so I spend no time trying to gate eBooks and put people in nurtures because I did that in 2016 for that med tech company. Mm -hmm. And I watched how much time I spent on it and how much money I spent getting people to eBooks to download them and how they went through those sequences and how many people bought stuff. And I was like, this is a waste of time. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And and we've done the same thing. I you know, since two thousand even back two thousand five to two thousand and probably ten, twelve, we were putting together concept books, ebooks, even white papers for that matter, and, and yep. getting getting people into those nurturing campaigns. And I could probably count on one hand the number of times that those converted to, you know, long term mm-hmm. clients, long term deals. So people
0: will um the the really interesting thing on this one is that if you use a tool like HubSpot or anything like that, that you can, once you have them in that sequence, you can claim that it made an impact forever because you can track it. And so um, people, uh, people spend a lot of time doing the things that they can measure so that they can justify their activities. Um, and I just forego those things and focus on revenue.
1: Right. So, so John Smith came in as a client today and you know what? I'm in marketing. I saw he downloaded the ebook four years ago. We're taking credit.
0: Yeah. For such attribution. We love it.
1: <laughs> well, it, it, it does help for sure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, let's jump into some specifics if we could. Um, let, let's look at medical companies today, right? Your, your salespeople, and this is why I think marketing is gonna be infinitely more important. Your salespeople are stuck. They kind of got their hands tied right now. They're not walking into the accounts. Um, they're not getting that face-to-face um, time with their customers. And so that relationship sale that was happening on a regular basis, maybe it's still happening, but it's not happening as much as it was. So the marketing piece is what's going to ultimately drive people, I think, towards new purchases, um, new products, new information. What do companies today need to be doing different than they did two years ago or even in January?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's quite funny because all of those companies have built their go to market strategies around field sales organizations and events, right? (laughs) And both of those things can happen right now. And for the foreseeable future are not going to be. And so unless you have a product that has created, has more demand because of the current situation, you're in trouble. Like, um, you have to, and it's not like you just, you know, snap your fingers and you're like, yeah, we have a well-running marketing engine right now. It takes a lot of testing, a lot of energy, a lot of talent, a lot of time to build something that's actually effective. And so, you know, I, I believe that companies will look back and the ones that respond well and actually start building these things and taking them seriously, um, will consider this a, a positive thing for their business when they look back in five years. Um, but right now for those that, you know, didn't spend the last five years trying to figure this out, I think they're going to be really struggling.
1: So what's step one?
0: Um, this is a, this is kind of, a, uh, an interesting one. It's, Maybe not what I would would normally suggest, but for me, step one, and this is particularly pertinent for medical device companies, is to find a true demand marketer, um, a true demand leader that can execute a strategy. And you know what? I know in all of your job descriptions that it says must have five years of FDA regulated medical device experience, and you're not going to find that person there. And so you're gonna have to look in other industries. I, I think it's a really interesting, if you if you really dive deep into this one about how medical companies require that type of experience for almost anyone except for an entry-level sales role. Right. Um, that the amount of homogenous thinking inside of this industry because they refuse to let other people in to expose new innovations is fascinating to me. Like I would be finding people that have experience in e-commerce and demand and you know, vir- virtual events and building out like media executions, like all those different things are not core competencies in a majority of medical device companies.
1: Right, right, so, so start looking for those things that are going to help you in the future. Is it, um, is it too late right now or are there some tactics? Because here's what I'm thinking, tactically what I would be doing is figuring out ways to get subject matter experts on video, subject matter experts from my company and LinkedIn, um, I'd be walking up to him with a phone if at all possible and saying, Hey, tell me about this. And then trying to capture that. I, I, is that a tactic? Is it, does it work or yeah, we're not yet.
0: Yeah. I mean, first off, it's, it's never, never too late to get started on this stuff. Right. Um, and yes, if there's like the most, um, the, the simplest, Thing that you could do right now is to pull information out of your subject matter experts and publish it on the internet. The challenge is that a lot of companies don't know how to distribute content effectively. And so all you're going to be doing is you're going to take that phone video, you're going to post it on LinkedIn to your company page that has 300 followers and get six views from people that are employees of your company and have absolutely no impact. And so one of the like more high level points here is that it's not only about the content, It's about how you distribute the content and most companies don't know how to distribute it unless they're focused on seo and seo is a one distribution channel seo is not a content strategy search is a distribution channel of content and so there are plenty of other mediums that you can distribute the content in you could send it via an email you could put it on linkedin you could run ads on facebook to it you could um, have someone present it at a conference in person. You could send something in the mail. Like those are all the different ways that you could communicate the message. Um, and I just don't think that companies are are especially in med tech aside from the field sales rep delivering the information in person or someone paying $50,000 to host a symposium at a conference for their SME to present at, or to, to have one of their, you know, people on their clinical advisory board present how they use their product. Like I don't see a ton of, uh, A ton of other ways companies know how to distribute content in this industry
1: yeah we see a lot of webinars um you know right (laughs) right, we see we see webinars going off all the time and and i always like to jump in there and see how many people actually show up and it's always the sales representatives from the company it's always the other marketing people from the company (laughs) but very very rarely do you get that true influx of potential customers or customers you know why no but you're going to tell me
0: because it's a back-end sales pitch There's never actually any value delivered. No clinician actually wants to attend that webinar. The key is to focus on what the people that you're after want. And oftentimes that has nothing to do with your product. Mm. Maybe occasionally you need to present on a new piece of clinical data that impacts one product over the other, one modality over the other. There are certain ways to weave in what you do, but the key is to focus on them. Um, And I think a lot of companies are, especially in this industry are so much in sales mode that they would never do a webinar for ER physicians about gunshot wounds, when they're selling a you know diagnostic product for the ER, they would ne- they would never produce content that has no uh, that doesn't have a direct tie to a sale of their product, and I think that is is short-sighted.
1: I, I would agree. I, I I think we're starting to see more of it. I think people are catching on, and I think that we're going to see more and more as time goes on. I mean, it, you know, of of the people that we've had on this show every single one of them have mentioned that, not from a company standpoint, but from a, a personal standpoint. You need to be putting out information that is valuable to those people that are listening to you. It's It can't all be sales. And, and I think what we see a lot of times with companies especially is only thing that they post, and let's just go to LinkedIn, okay? Uh-huh. The only thing they post on LinkedIn is information about their product, information about a service they provide. It's sales, sales, sales. Mm -hmm. And the only people that like it are the people from the company who Mm -hmm. click on like because they want their manager to see that they liked it. Mm -hmm. How do we fix that?
0: Yeah, I mean, let's go back to the webinar real quick because there's something else I need to get in. There's two things on the webinar. The first one is that you need to earn the trust of someone to actually show up. And that, that means producing content in a way that helps them so that you have the trust so that they actually want to come to your webinar and they know that it's going to be valuable. That requires producing content in other channels first. Right. The second thing is to be disciplined about not having a sales cadence following after them. Nobody that attends your webinar that then gets six calls from your sales rep wants to come to your next webinar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so, so but but I gotta justify it, right? I've got to justify <laughs> the reason I did it, Chris. So how am I gonna <laughs> do that if my sales reps aren't immediately following up? you know, 10 minutes after they get off of that call. The sales reps
0: don't want to follow up with these people either. They know that those people don't want to talk to them. Like go, go and ask. Like when I worked at these companies, I I went, I built relationships with sales reps and I asked them and I would send them leads from different sources and I would understand what they told me. I would also call the leads myself. And so, and the collective feedback, anyone, you can go and do this yourself for anyone listening. You can ask your sales reps, what do you think of trade show leads? They're going to say they suck. Unless I met them myself, I don't want to talk to them. Webinar leads. If you send them to me, I'm still not going to follow up. <laughs> and th- that's the feedback. And so, and I would do the same thing about um, if they asked for a demo, if they asked for a quote, if they downloaded this white paper, if they, you know, visited our website and I looked up their information and sent them along without any intent. like those are some things that I would I would do and I would learn. And basically, what I learned is, your sales reps especially in this industry don't want to talk to people unless they said I want to talk to your sales rep which is which is another way to say just be buyer centric okay. and in your marketing <laughs> in your marketing it forces you to have a lot of discipline to get someone to the point where they actually want to talk to your sales rep
1: so now you we're, to do, now you we're pulling you it back to, your to the our market marketing strategy
0: changes a ton if you need that if you if that becomes your end point
1: okay okay so I'm going to ask you again, how do we do that? How do we do that? I mean, just, just come on high level, throw this at everyone listening here. Cause they're, they're all going to call you anyway and say, Hey, we need you to figure this out for us. So, so come in and let's talk about it. But Chris, let's, let's say we know we have to get buyer centric. We know we have to get the potential. Customer to say, I want to speak to a salesperson about this, which means that they've already learned a truckload of information about your product, everyone else's product. How do we get them there? What, what's the roadmap? Mm-hmm.
0: I think there's a lot of different things that you can do. I'll throw out a couple ideas straight away. Good. Most of these companies will have dozens of clinical specialists that are typically sort of like, are exactly like your buyer, yeah. right? Like you're selling to, um, ER nurses, like you probably have clinical specialists that have the same credentials as them and know them well. And I would start to have those types of people. You can call them an SME start to have those types of people creating content for those people. And I wouldn't just be putting it out on the LinkedIn company page. I would have those people putting it out across all their LinkedIn's. Um, And there's a lot more underneath the LinkedIn strategy for order for it to get to work. Like, like I said, distribution, like just posting content to your current follower Base may not be enough. Um, that's one. I would absolutely create a podcast, and I would interview the the expert at your top fifty accounts that you that both customers and non-customers. However, you want to do it, but I would I would interview those people, and I would create a podcast, and I would publish five episodes a week. And people that are listening to this think it's crazy that they would publish five episodes of a podcast a week. I do it myself. I publish somewhere between three and five episodes a week. I've gone from zero to 3000 subscribers in the past six months since quarantine happened when I got focused on this. Mm-hmm. And the impact is amazing. Almost, I would say 50% of my sales conversations start with, I was listening to your podcast and, and so, um, that would be another tactical one. The next one that I think is super interesting. This is going to have to be for a company that has some pretty serious ambitions would be to think about the conference where your most expensive booth happens. So think about the, everyone can think about that conference. Sure. Okay. Let's think about it. And we're going to, you know, we go, we set all of our sales directors show up. Our VP of sales is there. We have 10 sales reps, 10 clinical specialists, everyone from marketing. There's 50 people there from our company. We're building a hundred thousand dollar booth. We're doing some event. Everyone knows what that conference is for them. And then think about what are all the sessions that are happening at that conference? Who's speaking at them? What are they talking about? Who are the people that are attending? And start to build a track of if we were going to compete with that event in a virtual standpoint, who would we have speaking, what would be the tracks, how would we get people there? And I've been saying this for five years. I think that Medtronic should be competing with all of the trade shows instead of paying them a quarter million dollars to put a booth there for three
1: days. Yeah, my friends at AACC just uh, hung up on us, but that's all right. That's okay. We're going to keep going anyway. Um, and you're right. And, that, and
0: that's that's a virtual event. And if you promote it well, you could have somewhere between 2,500 and 10,000 of your target, either decision makers, influencers, or other people in your market there, exposed to your brand and all the content. And then you have all of the you. content afterwards. Right. And then you can use every single track as a different podcast episode and you can cut up all the different webinars and put it on linkedin and like for the company that's not you know throwing seven million dollars a year on trade show boost in the trash like you could take that money and do that and it would cost you way less and it would have way more impact yeah huge
1: impact all right chris so so this is for everyone listening, this is why I reached out to Chris in the first place. I tell you, and Chris, we talked about this earlier. When I first started listening to your information, I, I think it was, you, you were on with somebody, maybe it was Jake Donlap, and I first started hearing you guys jump on, and both of you are pretty low-key when you start, right? You know, it's kind of like, hey, how you doing? I'm doing Okay. Uh, where are you where are you staying now? i'm I'm in Boston. You just moved, right? Yeah, I just moved. And then before that video was over, I'm like, shit, these guys just dropped so much gold in what they just put out for the marketing piece that you know this this alone should be worth a high price for admission. So, guys, you just heard it here. i I, I think what you just said was absolute gold. And I think more people should be doing that
0: and And anyone listening to this can do it. The key there's a couple key things. The first one is to commit to the strategy. So most people don't do this because they are not committed to it. And if you post one podcast episode per month, you're not going to get any traction and it's not going to have any results and you might as well not do it. Um, and so the first one is to, to commit to it. The second one is to set expectations and get buy-in inside of your organization about what you're trying to do and position it in a way that executives buy into it. Mm. Um, and the third one is get it done. And so like the, I think that a lot of these initiatives inside of these types of companies fail because, um, because it's really hard to do. It's also hard to measure.
1: Yeah, it, it is difficult. And th- I'm not even talking about putting together the virtual shows or the actual shows. If you could do that live, mm-hmm. you know, even putting podcasts together, it's not easy. And I think so many people stop because it's hard. They stop before they could actually get going with it. And all you got to do is get moving. And then once you get moving, it starts rolling. And like you're doing now, it just builds more and more momentum Mm -hmm. until you get to the point where you've got a show or a product, if you will, that uh, continues to grow just by you continuing to do the work. Mm -hmm. If if that makes sense. Uh,
0: The next thing that I think people should consider is, and, I don't care if you do it on Facebook or LinkedIn. A lot of people are like, oh, Facebook's not for business professionals. We would never advertise there. I've done it for the past five years and I've targeted ER physicians, respiratory therapists, ER nurses, ICU intensivists, ophthalmologists, optometrists. It works. Mm-hmm. And so whatever whatever one you want to do, if you're against Facebook for whatever reason, you can do it on LinkedIn. It's just going to be way more expensive. And I would start to produce content and I would get it to them by paying to distribute it on one of those channels. And uh, that would work. And it would be way more cost-effective than whatever's happening in there today. I know that for sure.
1: But, but Chris, a, a key to that, whether it's LinkedIn or, or Facebook, probably Facebook more so, you need to create multiple pieces of that content. It's gotta be very specific to your audience, correct?
0: Sure. I mean, like, I'll give you an example that did not need to be specific to anyone really. And so, you know, we, uh, three years go on and we have a major clinical trial that is published in a very reputable journal about how our product is better than the product that's being used right now Mm -hmm. has the same clinical outcomes with way less side effects. And that was news. And you know, what a normal company would do, they would wait for the next year of the trade show to happen. And they would put on a symposium and a hundred people would show up or they would wait for someone to find it in the journal that they never read. Or they would wait for someone that knows them to maybe tell them about it or wait for their sales rep to show up and try and like give them the paper. And those are the ways that people would distribute that information. You know what I did? I wrote or they'll put a press release up on the wire that never gets picked up and nobody reads. Well, it did, no, 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 Chris, it got do.
1: picked up because they've got the metrics to show it got picked up by uh, uh, 200 <laughs> media outlets because that's that's what they paid for, right? So it got actually, you know what, Chris, it didn't. It got 270 mm-hmm. media outlets. They only paid for 200. It was a win.
0: And you know what I did? I took that the almost the exact same press release that was on our news site that nobody read. And I rewrote it in language that was focused on our buyers, not like some PR version for investors and the media. I wrote it for the buyers about what it means for them in four paragraphs. And I put it on our blog and I ran $50,000 in Facebook ads to all of the people inside of the US that would need to know about it and drove dramatic impact and awareness about that clinical trial. And people just then that, that was probably the best $50,000 that company ever spent.
1: How much pushback did you get before actually implementing it?
0: When, uh, when the CMO and the CFO and the CEO saw that we were getting people in our target market to read that piece of content for 14 cents, not a lot of pushback.
1: Yeah, that changed everything. That's cool. So I, I don't think people think of Facebook as much anymore. I think that everyone is really trying to focus and target on LinkedIn.
0: Um, yeah, there's, there's a dramatic opportunity in Facebook. I, we work with 20 different software as a service companies, some of them, which we put a hundred thousand dollars a month through Facebook and get great results. Wow. And so, yes, yeah, so there are certain instances from, from medical companies. You'll be able to get to the exact people based on field of study or job title or anything like that. And you'll be able to get them on Facebook and Instagram. The 35 year old ER nurse in Orange County lives on Instagram. So figure out how to get to her there if that's who you're selling to, of right? Like she's probably not on LinkedIn.
1: Now, how about so TikTok? So just because is...
0: you think that LinkedIn is a business platform, like your customers are somewhere else probably.
1: Right, now how about TikTok? Anything on TikTok?
0: I don't spend a ton of time on TikTok. I understand there's a huge opportunity there. Um, I am not going to weigh in and pretend like I know, but what I do know: ton of organic reach, inexpensive ads. I don't even think you need the ads right now, but you could use them. Um, and it will, it will age up as, as long as it can make it there, but it'll just be like Instagram. Instagram was teenagers and people like that. And it now it's 35, 30 to 50 year old people live on Instagram. And so,
1: yeah, I I hear other people talking about it, you know, about TikTok, And I I just, I don't think it's there for the medical community. And I think there's too much trash on it, to be honest with you, for, for people to be willing to invest the money. But, you know, I guess we'll find out over time.
0: Yeah, there are just enough. I mean, for the medical community, I think there are enough um, better places to be right now. Um, But it's, you know, if you're a five million dollar or five billion dollar organization, like you don't think you could put one employee to just understand what TikTok is about. Right. Like, I I don't I, I just don't understand, like in two years, it could be where. If you're targeting nurses, it could be where all of them are, and you're not going to spend a single a single minute of time trying to figure it out of all of the different uh, you know inefficiencies of overhead expenses that you carry to have one employee just like learn it. Um, that that's I find fascinating.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, Chris, let me ask you, you know, what is your, and we haven't really gone into this, probably should have done at the beginning. What what is your background? You know, what got you to where you are today? Obviously, you know, you you are considered a, a marketing guru at this, in this era right now. I see you everywhere on LinkedIn, but tell us about what happened before you got to where you are today.
0: Yeah, so relevant to um, some of the people here, I I studied biomedical engineering about 10 years ago. Um, Graduated with that degree, thought I was going to make electronic medical devices, diagnostics, or different things like that. Worked for six months in engineering, um, realized that it wasn't that cool. Um, Moved into upstream product management, started specking products had built a couple of medical apps during that time. Um, and then moved into a, um, venture funded medical device company in a full downstream demand gen role for two years, really honed my skills there, studied how that type of company made investments, um, studied how they decided to allocate their commercial budget, studied how they made decisions on which, you know, how much money to spend on their trade show booths. And it was all political it was based on how the CEO would feel about their the huge booth inside there that they could walk up to and have a couple customers show up at. Not not based on logic. And then you go and you're like, hey, can I have $1,000 a month to run Facebook ads? I think we can really get to our people. And they're like, no. Because it's just their opinion. Um, and so anyway, I... Uh, I, I, I built the engine there, um, from a company that was doing 0% inbound and their marketing team was focused on sales enablement and trade show booths. Mm-hmm. It was essentially all them and, and product strategy by the, by the way, I, I don't want to discount that from marketing, but if you split out like strategic and demand, like I covered the full demand inside of that, that company, everything from like community management, building out social channels, integrating marketing automation with Salesforce, um, creating a content strategy, a creative strategy, building the website, getting people to the website, um, customer research, putting on a podcast and a video podcast with medical, you know, experts. And so like I did all of those things and I learned so much and now, um, and then I left that company and I moved out in the world and I was like, wow, what I did there was special. Hmm. Like now I go and look at 20 other companies and they're all, they're all making the same mistakes that I just figured out how to solve and then from there i decided to 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 start this business um and was it initially focused on medical devices so like wow this market needs this so much like they're doing all these things and there's su- such a better way to do it right now and i came to the realization after 6 months that these people just don't want when i'm what i'm pushing They're like, there's too much, there's too much politics and old thinking inside of it. And so like, I I don't focus, I mean, could I help those companies for sure? Do I focus on trying to convince them to do something that they will never do? No, I don't. I focus on the people that want to buy what I'm selling and we get great results for those types of companies.
1: So most of what you're doing now is in the area of tech or software as a service. Is is, is that that more accurate of of those are the companies that are like, yeah, we like this, this will work. Tech
0: tech SaaS believes in it. and, the, and the, the key interesting thing is that the business models of these two companies are not different. They're not that different. Like if you look at a capital consumable sale in medical device mm-hmm. versus a recurring revenue model SaaS company, they both have big implementations typically. There's a capital expense up front. There's a recurring revenue model behind it based on usage and success of the product the business models are not that much different. Just how they deliver between the two are incredibly different. Um, and so like, I don't think a lot of medical device companies know about what their customer acquisition cost is. I know the one that I worked for didn't, which is inc- it just blows my mind how you're building a company and you have five, like a hundred sales reps around the country and you don't know how much it costs you to acquire a new customer. And what you're doing is you're doing a land and expand play. Yes. And you continue to grow, you're continuing to grow your revenue based on expansion revenue. And let alone you have 40 sales reps that aren't getting into new accounts, which is their job. Um, and so that's, uh, I found that incredibly interesting as I studied it.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. So Chris, about more about you, um, obviously you know your craft very well, um, what do you do to stay sharp? What are the things that you listen to? Who who do you read or listen to, to make sure that you're continuing to sharpen the sword?
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the things that I do, um, I have oversight into 18 Salesforce instances and ad accounts for all of our customers. And so I'm in there continuously testing, learning, looking at data, understanding when you do this, what happens across them, Does it? how does it impact across different costs of product, target markets, channels, all those different things. I work full time on two of our most important accounts. And so I'm running demand gen for, for two sophisticated software as a service organizations. And so I stay sharp that way. I stay sharp by being on podcasts like this and, and having questions that I don't expect. Um, and having to figure out how to answer them. And the last one that's super interesting is I put on, we did, it It was two hours on Tuesday, every Tuesday night for the past six months, I have a live Q and a that happens at 7 30 PM Eastern over zoom at this point, close, close to 75 marketers show up every week. Um, and ask me questions really specific about what's going on in their business. And, and I need to continuously demonstrate expertise and experience that way. And so those are, that's how I stay sharp. I, um, honestly don't, consume a ton of marketing content anymore. Yeah. It makes sense. I I, I read a lot on LinkedIn. I I use it, I I use it as insights, um, to understand what's going on. But like, I use LinkedIn a lot. Like there's several posts that I post that are provocative where I, where I get a ton of feedback when you get a hundred comments from people and understand what they're saying. Like, that's how I learn. I understand how people think.
1: Yeah. And I got to tell you, I've listened, I've watched a lot of your content and consumed a lot of your content on LinkedIn. And there's some of them where I, I kind of turned my head. I'm like, I don't know that I understand what he just asked or said, and I'm sure it was <laughs> over my head. And so I'm like, you know what, I'm not commenting on that. I'm going to wait and see what else someone else, see what someone else has to say about it first. Um, you know, as far as, um, you know, your company, I know that you're growing your organization, uh, constantly. One of the things that we're, focused on is talent. And I always like to find out what it is that people look for when they are interviewing talent. You know, do you have a specific way that you determine whether or not someone's a fit for your company? And then ultimately, what do you hire for? What what is that one thing that if they've got this, this is the it for my organization, what do you hire for?
0: Yeah. So it really depends on the role. Um, so it depends on the role from a technical skill standpoint, but the I mean the core things that I'm looking for, um, in general are are they a good person? Do I trust them? Um, a key a key factor about working in organizations are there are they entrepreneurial? Um, I'm not looking for people that that just want to go about their day. Um, right now, I think something that's unique is that I. I hire people that have the same profile of what our customers need. And so it's very unique in the type of business that I'm in that I go out and I pay top dollar to have directors of demand generation, that company that companies hire us to use and our, you know, my quote unquote competitors will hire someone that's 60 K to run ads and have no clue what's going on. It's inside of that company. All the people that I hire right. have worked inside of the companies that my clients work in. Um, so those are some of the things that I look at. It's, it's, technical skills and do they, do they have the intangibles that we, that they would need to be successful inside of our company? Yeah.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Um, tell us where people can find out more about you. What's the best way to reach out to you?
0: So uh also, LinkedIn Chris
1: and I'm sorry Chris one yeah. other thing you know what other what programs do you have projects do you have anything that people should know about who are listening to this
0: Yeah so so LinkedIn's the best way to catch me I publish content on there almost every day Um, LinkedIn Chris Walker and then the the project that has been I mean I have a lot of projects going on but the one that's by far had the best response thus far is the State of Demand Gen podcast available on Apple and Spotify Um, like I said about 3,000 subscribers marketers that are messaging me on LinkedIn DM that have said hey I've listened to your podcast for the past three months and I just got promoted to head of demand I just got this way but I you know I worked in manufacturing and a manufacturing company at a dead end marketing job and I just got a great um, new opportunity in San Francisco just go with this tech company and so like people are out there with the info. if if you can take the information and you do something about it um you can get to where you want to go
1: yeah so so for those people i don't know if this is going to show up for those people that are actually watching uh it's on my list so if you can see my phone um it's on my list podcast i listen to it yeah it's a it's really good information. And and I have nothing to do with demand gen or, or maybe I do. I'm not sure yet. Um, for everyone else listening, when Chris and I first got on this call, I talked to him about um, you know what we were going to do, how the process was going to go. And I send out a, a pretty simple PDF that just explains why we created this podcast, who it's for, who the customer audience is. And I give some questions and I said, Chris, did you take a look at that? He goes, no. I'm not going to take a look at it, if you don't mind. We're, I want to answer these things as soon as they're being thrown at me. So I believe him when he says how he stays sharp is putting himself through fire by getting questions real time, using data, using you know content to be able to drive that. I firmly believe that now as much as I do ever. Chris Walker, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Um, I look forward to getting a lot of feedback on this i think we have pushed a couple of buttons that people are going to come at me or you and say hey wait 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 a second we are not we are not going to give up that show it's just not going to happen <laughs> but i look forward to them reaching out to you and to me and give you that feedback so i appreciate your time thank you for thanks being for, on
0: thanks for having me scott really appreciate being here hope everyone enjoyed it
1: Awesome, i'm sure they did take care take care